Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Hello, hello, everybody. Today, we are blessed with MJ Fierra. Did I say it right? Yes. (laughs) Who has a publishing career that begins as a teenager in Haiti, I believe at the age of 15. Yes. And she's the author of Happy Okay, Poems About Anxiety, Depression, Hope, and Survival. Okay, we need all that. Mm -hmm. And a badass Black girl questions, quotes, and affirmations for teens. And she helps others write their way through trauma, build community, and create social change. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining the Cypher and sharing your information with us. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you to add it to the space. So she has just written a book. I believe it released last month. January. January. 14. When I saw it, I said, I need to buy the book. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's not out yet. (laughs) Raising Black Confident Kids. That will be released in January. And that title, and she also has a BS in education. And when I read the write-up of the book, I was so impressed with the way that you decided to tackle how to raise Black confident children. But also you were like, so that therapists can have a strategy, a way to apply it. And I was so impressed with that because we always talk of these ideas. I like to call it in the ether. So we all exchanging how, but you just created this book with not just like why we need to do it, but how. And thank you very much. So what made you decide, like, I'm going to tackle this? It was really important to me. I'm a long-time educator. I've taught middle school for many, many years. I've taught elementary and high school classes. I'm still a college teacher. (laughs) I'm still a college teacher. So I've always wanted to create a safe space for my students, a space where they could be themselves, where they could have difficult conversations. Because growing up Black, I know that the world is not always kind to people like us. And most of the literature out there is very general and doesn't necessarily focus on issues that are specific to us. I read a lot of empowerment books when I was growing up in Haiti and when I moved to the U.S. I mean, if it was about empowerment, I read it. I was really into becoming someone better empowering myself and being successful. But a lot of the preoccupations that I had, for instance, how do you deal with racism? How do you have a conversation about racist issues with a friend who has never experienced racism? Things that I know that other people like me were asking when they were in high school, when they were in college. And when I became a teacher, I started having those conversations with the kids and their parents. And I remember one mom telling me, well, I may be the mother, but you spend more time with my son than I do. And it came to me, you know, that moment when you realize, oh my God, I have such a huge responsibility. So I started asking questions. I wanted to know what the kids wanted to talk about. I wanted to know what the 
parents worried about. And I wanted to know what was being done about those issues. So I started talking to other teachers. I started attending training. I started talking with therapists. And I spent so much time with the guidance counselors at the school, just figuring out what they talk about with the students when the students approach them with issues that relate to Black life. For years, I applied some of those strategies just to see what could work, what needed some more finessing. And in the end, I had compiled all those strategies and I was ready to share them with other people. Okay. So let's dig in because I have questions. I don't know about anybody else out there listening, but I have questions. So how do you explain systematic racism to your child in an empowering way? In 2021, the things that came up for me... When I started my podcast and talking to people, I realized that I am socialized and I'm a perpetuator of systematic racism in a way. So the way that I engage with my kids more of to bend and to stay low, stay low, don't draw attention. I got caught out there, MJ saying they a lot, they, they, and they were like, who is they? And I realized the fact that whenever I would talk about white people or what racist systems was in place, I would always say they, and I realized me saying that is a way to empower and strengthen the system versus dealing with it head on, <laughs> dealing with head on. So how do you talk to your kids differently? Like, I'm just going to be honest, like, I do my best, but I catch myself basically, you know, I've been parented a certain way. So even though you know better, your adult self knows better, the child in you typically often speaks first. Yes. I remember I lived in an apartment in South Florida. And when you got to the entrance, there was a warning that says, be aware of your surroundings. And I thought it was such a great quote for life because we need perspective. We need to be aware of what we're saying. And we need to be aware of what other people mean when they say certain things. And it's such an important lesson for our students, if we're teachers, for our kids, if we're parents, because very often kids are not able to see things beyond their own world. Everything you say is taken at face value and they only apply it to their own situation without necessarily thinking about what other situations might be. The fact that I grew up in the Caribbean, I think, gave me a lot of perspective. I grew up in Haiti, where there is a special form of racism. It's Black people against Black people, so it's called colorism, where it's very difficult for you to reach a certain status if you're the wrong quote-unquote, wrong color. So if you're very dark-skinned, you don't have as many opportunities as someone who might be light-skinned. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until recently that there was a movement that really gained momentum where people started saying, you know, Black is beautiful and kind of building up people who are dark skin, very dark skin. And in that sense, we're a little bit behind when it comes to the ideas that, let's say, the Black Panthers brought up. The whole idea that Black is beautiful has been in the U.S. for way longer than in the Caribbean, for instance. However, things are not the same in the U.S. where now it's two different races and it's definitely more systemic or maybe systemic in a different way where now you have to kind of understand how that system works in order for you to be able to talk to your kids about the way to approach the impact of systemic racism. So one thing that also gave me perspective is that I married a white man. (laughs) 
And I have to think about race every day because I cut myself talking about race in a way that was not always a reflection of that specificity that I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. meaning that I would say they, and then I realized, oh, well, my husband is not part of that group. So who's in that group? Who are they? Who are those people who are keeping us down and who's part of the system? So I had to do a lot of research. And it started, of course, with the idea that when we say that the racism is systemic, it's not just the people in the system who are racist. We're not referring to the people. We're referring to the laws that are in place with the way certain things are done, with the fact that after we became free, in the United States after slavery was abolished, Black people no longer had individual masters. They had the state as a master. And all the rules that were established were established to keep Black people in check. One way to explain it to the kids is that we're not referring to individual people. We're referring to the way things are done so that it doesn't remain abstract as in, oh yeah, it's a racist system, but we'll just put everything under that umbrella and we'll be done with it. I talk about specific things. I talk, for instance, about income inequality Mm -hmm. and actual numbers. This is how much white household is going to make in comparison to a black household in the same area. I'll talk about why. I'll talk about the prejudice against certain names, for instance. There's research that was undertaken by an organization where they sent different resumes to different jobs that were similar. And they were all fake resumes. Some of them had very white sounding names and some of them had very African-American sounding names. And they recorded how many people actually got a call back for an interview and who those people were. So it was proven that people with what you will call, quote-unquote, mainstream names, what they want to be called back. So this is part of the system, and part of it is the rules that are in place. Part of it is people unconsciously being affected by what has been the status quo for so long, so that, oh, if I'm going to hire an English teacher and someone is named Michelle Parker, Mm -hmm. she's probably a better teacher than someone who's named Jamal Robertson. Right. I think simple things like that. So how there are rules that are racist, meaning there might be rules, if we talk about housing now, as opposed to income, you can enter the chapter about housing, and you talk to the kids about some rules that certain populations are unable to follow. If you're applying for a house, they might ask you for a minimum income. They might Mm -hmm. ask you for certain conditions that a Black family is less likely to be able to follow or to provide information for. There Mm -hmm. was that one research, I'm trying to remember where, but it's a place where you have a lot of migrant workers. So they come for the season, they do the job, and then they go back to the city where they actually have family where they're from. And if housing is asking for a proof of residency for the last three years, and you're talking about people who are always traveling, so they're never in the same place for a long time, they're unable to show you that they are stable. But they are, they have a steady job. It's seasonal, but they've been working 
that job forever. They're always hired. They have employment. So the system is working against them. And the system is not for those types of people, not working positively for those people. So it's really talking about the different ways, talking about health, for instance, how traditionally Black people have been considered to have more endurance and are less prone to experience pain. So if you look at statistics, they will give a Black mother less medication than a white mother, although Mm -hmm. they're suffering the same after childbirth. So that's how I talk to my kids. But of course, we're talking here about young adults, teenagers, maybe twins. But if you're dealing with kids who are way younger, then storytelling is a great way to talk about injustice and the need to have a system that is not racist. Right. So my nine-year-old has these conversations and his conversations now is more of people in my school are racist. Why are they racist? He's like, well, they're racist because when we go to play a particular game, they always give me the black piece. Okay, so that doesn't mean that they're racist. He's like, they give me the black piece because I'm black. So I'm thinking, how can I empower him? Because at first, I went into this whole socialized conversation about it's not racist, basically trying to make his concerns small. And then I realized what I was doing and then I reversed it. And then basically I said to him, well, what you can do is you can face it. Ask them, why do you think that you would want the black piece? I said, it may be something different. And I said, and if they tell you, which we know they probably won't because it's systematic and kids don't know, like they don't know. Then I said, you can just tell them that you like other colors. But when we're talking about the teenagers and we're basically letting them know what creates a systematic racism environment, but we're giving them all these facts, which are great because everything you just said, I know. And I know for this new generation of kids, it's a slippery slope. So you have... (laughs) The generation who basically want to say racism doesn't exist. And they just got like kicked in the face in 2020 because it's like, yes, it is. And now like my daughter's one of those people and she's like heartbroken and devastated, but she's pulling herself together. Right. But then you have this other subset of generation kids. Well, you know, my son's 13. He's awesome on spectrum. So how he looks at things is differently. So he knows some of the facts. But when it comes to me having these conversations, he's asking me questions like, when do I have to stop wearing a hoodie because I don't want to be shot like Trayvon? When, uh, but he asked me something about driving while black. You know, we had this entire conversation about basically he was trying to get out of the system. So he's basically saying, well, I just won't drive. I'll ride a bike. I couldn't let him be. And then, you know, finally he was like, I'll walk. And I had to say, well, baby, it's not really about the vehicle. It's just about the fact that you're black. It was a struggle for me to say that. Because every time he would come up with a solution, I kind of wanted to let him be. And he's 13. I'm going to say it's unfortunate, but it's a reality for us that our babies don't get to be babies as long as our counterparts. But, you know, he ended a conversation with he's just moving out of the United States. Well, we already know that's not really a solution. So how can I raise him to a point where this is what it is? You don't have to leave, but these are some strategies of navigation. You said two things that are really important. The first thing is to keep the conversation going. And the conversation is not just going to happen once. It's going to happen all the time. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be very sad because the truth of the matter is this conversation is going to be had over and over because the situation is not going to change from one day to the next. 
So the first thing would be to keep the conversation open and also to acknowledge their feelings because they are going to feel sad. They are going to feel that they're being bullied because of who they are. And you need to listen to them. And one thing that is not useful is, well, everything will be fine in the end. They don't want to think about the end. They want to know now that they are going to be okay. I think that a lot of it is accepting different things. First, accepting the fact that as a kid, you're only one person against a system, meaning that you can contribute to changing the system, but you shouldn't feel that it's your responsibility to change it all on your own. It's going to require working together. And I think that a lot of our kids right now feel that it's their responsibility to do something. And I mean... The essence of it is great. We're talking about people who are going to become activists, people who are going to be a great part of the system. But we need to remind them that it's about working together to change the system. That one mm-hmm. person, they might make a difference, but they're not going to change the whole system on their own. I think that building confidence is really important in the way we help the kids see how they can navigate the world. Because if we're building their confidence so that as an individual, they're strong, then it doesn't even matter if the fact that they're getting the Black piece is because they're Black. Because it won't matter to them. They, They will just brush it off because they'll be like, you know what? I have no time for people who are just ignorant. So my focus is always to build up the individual first with the understanding that this person is Black and is facing the realities of being Black. But it's about making sure that they know that they are wonderful, that they have talents, that they can change their world, that they can be who they want to be. So what I do, whether I was in elementary school, working with middle school students and having conversation now with college-aged students, whether they're in a dual program, they're still in high school and taking college classes, it's all about building yourself up. Mm-hmm. Because I used to worry so much about, well, I wish I had uh, that long flowing hair that the princess bride has. And growing up, I had to realize, you know what? I'm never going to be freaking princess bride because that's not who I am. And once you start understanding that it doesn't matter how confident you are or how a strong group of friends you have. It doesn't going to take away the fact that one time I was just walking the streets, minding my own business, and someone stopped their car to throw a milkshake at me and call me the N-word. Mm-hmm. So there are things that will happen no matter what you do. But what you do is work on empowering yourself so that it's their loss. So there are two levels, of course. There's what you can do in your immediate environment Mm -hmm. and what you can do to actually change the system as a whole. So the individual things that you can do is first to be educated, meaning know your people, know who the trailblazers were so that you know your strength because that strength is, you know, we get it. It's in our genes we are resilient people. We are overachieving people. So know your strength and also know who you are outside of other people, what you want, your goals and stuff like that. Once you are confident, then you can be more decisive in the way that you change the larger world. 
world. Meaning, okay, we cannot change everything. We talked about the issues that we have in health. There's so many issues with the prison system and how it's basically, okay, black kids go to school and they get arrested and then they go to jail. And that's just for so many of us, right? So at some point, you will need to decide what is one thing I can change and maybe focus on that one thing and be able to change it. But for now, the question is, when his friends, talking about your son, when his friends go home, maybe they are in a racist household. Mm -hmm. So trying to change the heart of one person is you're basically trying to change an entire household and the messages that those friends are receiving. Right. It's not about really how other people are treating you, but it's about how you're going to react to that treatment Mm -hmm. and whether the way you react is going to be determined by the way people talk to you, the way people treat you, or whether you're going to acquire the kind of confidence, the kind of high self-esteem that will make others hesitant to treat you a certain way. With the understanding that, again, if we go back to the milkshake story, sometimes it doesn't matter that you have a high self-esteem, that you know who you are, that you're just minding your own business. People will come and try to make you explode just for the fun of it. But you have to remember who you are and just focus on what you can do to change your world as opposed to an entire system that is so broken. Right, who you're dealing with immediately and how you're interacting with them. And And that will eventually change the system. The goal is still to change the system, but you need to really work at home first. I'm smiling. I'm just like, okay, because my son goes into a predominantly white school, but I think it might be three black kids in the entire the entire school. That's tough. That's tough. And they had an interactive museum. So everyone had to choose a person. And it was like really cool. The kids had to create a YouTube page for the person that they chose. They had cards. It was like really interactive. And he chose Mansa Musa. And I didn't know. I just, you know, I just I'm always supporting my kids. I always show up for the things. And when I showed up, I was like, okay. And and like, I was like really proud of him. But at the same time, part of me was scared. I was raised in the 70s. So sometimes we have that inherent, you know, we don't know why, but we do because our parents had it. Right. And then I saw it. I was like, okay, I started taking pictures. And then I was like, well, are they going to come see his table? And they they did. They came and they spoke to him and he was explaining to them how much gold he had, what was his goals, how he crossed from here to here. And I was in total awe of who he chose. First of all, he created a YouTube channel. He created a Facebook page and he's talking to his son. Like he's talking to his son and then he dies and his son picks up the page. It was so interactive, but I was proud of the fact that unknowingly I had given him enough confidence and not fear because my fears were not his. It was no doubt in his mind, and it could also be he's on spectrum, so he's not even clocking in with a lot of social cues, but he did it. And I was so proud of him. And we have those conversations. He's a natural historian. So I have to throw that in so everyone don't think it's like, oh, mom. But he's a natural historian, so he loves history. But I was just in awe 
And like, kind of like, how do you support? Like one of the things that you said that really, I was really like, oh, you're right, is listen to them. When they come to you with their concerns, I think instinctually and actually how we are raised depending on how your parent raised you. Sometimes your parent can be on the bright side. My dad tends to be one of those type of people. So my dad is more, oh, it's going to be okay. My mom is, she'll fire it up because my mom is old school. So she'll be, yep, because they racist. That's what they are. That's my mom. My mom is as soon as my son says, somebody did something to me. She's like, "Mm, okay, I white. That's all I need to know. I'm kind of like, mom, everything's not racist. And she's like, oh, yes, it is. You just, and I'm like, okay, well, let's step back because they're clean slate. So we know racism is real. We know systematic racism exists. But how can we empower them with the confidence, knowing their surroundings, like you said, Mm -hmm. but being able to do things differently? I tend to be more of passive aggressive. (laughs) So when I have to deal with racial conflict, I don't come out and say, I think you're racist. I go to my books. So I write like someone who's a lawyer, but then I also kindly point out, I don't know if you're doing this because my daughter is there on scholarship. And I don't say because she's black, because that's what I'm thinking. I feel like she's on scholarship. I tend to be passive aggressive, as my son would say. He just told me that like this week, I read a letter I wrote to a teacher. He was like, mom, that was real passive aggressive. And I got really offended Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So offended. I was like, what? then I felt like I need to defend myself. Right. <laughs> but then I realized that's my coping mechanism. And is that a good coping mechanism? I'm not asking you, like, can you tell me, but what is a good way? How can we support? I feel like at this point, it's more of a nurturing and support versus us actively teaching because they are inquiring. They want to know, but our responses really are key to them continuing to ask and develop coping mechanisms or kind of like go status quo. For me, it was really that lie low. I remember I had a conversation with my oldest son and um, he went to predominantly white school as well. And um, he was telling me, you know, please pull me over. I need to know why you're pulling me over. And he's going on, you know, he's telling me all his Miranda rights. And I said to him, so you do know that you're black. This is, I'm in like my 20s. That's my excuse, guys. That's my excuse. I said, you know, you're black and your friends are white and you can't do what they do. And he just looked at me and I felt like in reflection, I felt like I was taking something away from him with my statement. Because when I said that to him, I was scared. I really right. was scared. I don't think you were. I, you were actually empowering him because you don't want him to be naive and think that he's going to be treated the same. Because it's not. So one thing I would do is kind of elaborate a little bit. But the thing is, it's the conversation for later, because in that moment, you're super scared and you're human. So you're going to say what you have to say. But then you can go back and explain a little bit and say, you know, there are so many great things about being black, but being stopped by the police is not one of them. So it's about doing this work where you're able to show them everything that is so wonderful and so empowering about being a Black person because it is kind of an advantage in many, many ways to be Black because of the perspective we get, because of our history of triumph and all the great things that we do and that our ancestors have done before us. So there is that part where 
it's like to me it's the coolest thing but there is a part that is very dangerous and it is our responsibility as educators and as parents to tell them you know what you know all the great things you need to be aware of all the things that are not working in your favor Mm-hmm. And if you're being stopped by the police, don't you think one second that because you attend the same school as Jim, that you're going to act the same way that he's going to act when he gets stopped by the police? Right. Because it's not going to happen. So it's really a matter. And when we're talking about the confidence, it's about building it every day. So while you're giving them the tools that they need to know that they're black and they're beautiful and they have talents and they have this rich history and just all those accomplishments that people before them have shown the world and that they have also the capacity to be first in everything they do, it comes with the other side of the coin that they are going to have to be careful that yes, if they get stopped by a police officer, it's yes, sir, no, sir. It's not the moment to fight the fight because their life is at stake. You need to learn as a Black person to choose your battle. When am I going to fight and when am I just going to, you know, be super zen and just go with the flow? Be like a turtle taken by the current and just wait to see where the current is going and just stay in my shell until it's safe for me to come out and give my peace. Because it's important and it goes back to what I said about awareness, being aware of your surroundings. When is it safe to be vocal and do what you have to do? And when do you just have to let it go? And it's such a fine line between the two. I like that. So basically, when they come against something, you know, let them talk it out with you. But on the other hand, increase and support their self-confidence You yes. know, by letting them know, one, they're not alone. So this thing that you have experienced is not just uh, just you. It's been going on for years. And look what has come from this. This is when you start talking. You have those conversations where you can talk about your Malcolm X or your Martin Luther King and all the other people who have gone through it. I mean, even to the extent where you talk about your immediate family. I love this conversation because, you know, when we talk about the positive, we do tend to go into history. But, you know, our family or your immediate family, my mom, my grandmother, who, you know, was raised during segregation, had to overcome a whole lot. And that's something that we can share with our kids. I never thought of it from that perspective. But I like that it's like the two sides of the one coin. Yeah, I mean, there are so many things we can do to build their confidence so that when that moment comes, they don't feel like something is really being taken away from them. They just understand, okay, this is just the way the world is and it doesn't take away from that confidence. I mean, a few things that I always say to parents, for instance, is remind them all the time that your love is unconditional. Because what racism does is trying to rob you from your identity, from your sense of belonging. It instills in you the fact that you're unlovable. And I think that reminding kids that they are loved is important as a tool to counter racism, to counter the racist messages that they get from other people. So if you want to have a confident kid, make sure that you remind them all the time that your love is unconditional. Remind them that you're there to listen, to talk to them, and make sure that you do more listening than talking. The talking is important because they have to learn how to function in this world from you, but they really need to be able to 
feel that they have a safe space for them to speak, tell you what they feel. And if they feel that they're being the victim of racism, don't take it away from them. Acknowledge their feelings. Say, you know, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this and that you're feeling that you're being singled out because you're Black. I understand that there is a system in place when in so many occasions, people will make you feel this way on purpose. And sometimes they will make you feel this way without even realizing it. But just remember all the great things that come with being who you are. Don't be afraid to tell them, to remind them, to compliment them, to tell them how great they are. And of course, be specific in the compliment. So the compliment is just, oh, you're black, so you're great. Because that <laughs> Be specific about what makes them great. If they're good at something, tell them you're the next Tina Turner because you're so great at this. Or if they're good at painting, introduce them to Black artists so that they know that they're carrying the legacy of people just like them. I tell parents, even the simple choices are important. What are you displaying on the walls at your house, in your kid's bedroom? Are they aware of Black musicians other than, you know, the most famous one, the hip hop? Do they know those musicians that made a difference for the music industry for Black people in the music industry? Mm -hmm. Do they know producers who are Black? Do they know those trailblazers so that whatever they're succeeding at, they know that they're not alone and that they're carrying the legacy of their ancestors, of the people before them, or people who are still alive and who are doing such a great job. And once you really are able to foster their curiosity in that way, discovering the whole universe that they're part of, once you're able to present them with new challenges so that they feel that they can accomplish certain things. You challenge them enough. You're authoritative, but you're not too strict. So you give them space to find themselves. You teach them how to set goals. You work consciously on improving their confidence. Then once they are in a situation where they're being discarded, because they're Black, they're being judged because they're Black, their lives are threatened because they're Black, then they're still able to rely on that foundation that you help them build, where they know that the way people are acting toward them is not a reflection of who they are. It's a reflection of those people's issues right. and their need to grow. So, oh my goodness, those are facts. I'm like, yeah, it is truly a reflection of the person. So in the back of your book, in the synopsis, it states that you also talk about how teachers can help raise confident Black kids. So for instance, so I, this is the thing that came to my mind. I was like, okay, so if it's a non-Black person, how can they help raise a Black confident child without, here's the key, without appearing or seeming to be overcompensating? Even with strict curriculums, teachers have a choice in the way they teach certain notions. Mm -hmm. So a few ideas, and uh, there are so many different ways to apply those general ideas. One is, are you using material that is diverse? And by diversity, I don't even just mean colors. I don't mean, do you have characters who are white, black, 
Hispanic. I also mean, do you have stories about people who are differently able physically? Do you have characters who are strong and take their destiny in their own hands, even though they might have health issues that they are dealing with. It's really thinking outside the box and making sure that you are including everyone. It's not a black curriculum. It's not a Hispanic curriculum. It's not an Asian curriculum. It's a curriculum that should really include everyone so that we're not using the same tropes over and over. It's not always a white savior in the story trying to help a black kid who doesn't know any better. It's not about a man saving a woman. Your stories should include strong men, strong women, strong people of a Haitian descent, Caribbean descent, people from different Hispanic countries. You should really have a curriculum that presents different people in positive ways. Another thing is leave space for conversation, meaning that you need as a teacher to make sure that you're presenting different perspectives and that you're inviting the kids to have a different perspective. If a kid tells you that you're having a conversation about a story, for instance, if you're an English teacher and the kid tells you, oh, this character is very racist. Instead of brushing it off because that was not part of the lesson of the day, listen to them and have a frank conversation. Do not be afraid to have those conversations because when you think about it, you're teaching someone who's 12 or 13. It is life, but it's not real life yet. Those kids are going to be adults. They're going to have jobs. They're going to be in environments that are going to be way more tough than being in school. I know that when you're in middle school, in high school, you feel like it's the toughest environment ever. Mm -hmm. Wait until you're an adult and you have to act like an adult. So it's their opportunity to really practice having those conversations in the future. So if teachers are afraid to have difficult conversations, they're doing a disservice to the kids because they're not preparing them for the future because those things will come up. Racist situations will come up and they need to be able to learn how to talk about those things. And whether the kid is black or non-black, they need to be able to have a frank conversation about whether it's mini aggressions or overt racism. They need to be able to talk about it. Right. So as a parent, and, you know, if my son comes home and he's basically saying, you know, this is what I tried to introduce, this is what I said, and the teacher basically shut him down, as a parent, how can I support him? Because he's telling me for a reason. He's looking for support. So how can I support him? Well, one thing I find out, and this I'm talking from the point of view of not the teacher, but when you get home. I have so many nieces and nephews, and they have great conversations with their parents. Because Mm -hmm. in my family, we talk about everything under the sun, particularly when it involves school. So you won't be able to dictate everything that happens at the school. There are certain things that you can do, like suggesting books to be added to the school library. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can write to the administrators. You can very kindly send some strategies to your teacher, letting them know, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to teach, but here are some ideas for the Black students in the class. If you do it nicely, the teachers won't mind, really. But also it's important now to go back home, to have those conversations at home as well, and to make them so lively that if they don't happen at school, it's still a little sad that they're not, but at least they're getting what they need from those conversations. So making sure that your home library has a lot of books on topics that are of interest, books that cover the different facets 
of the black experience, right? Because being black, of course, is not just, oh, that history of slavery. Let's talk about slavery and the consequences. It is important. It is super important. But it's also about all the stories of resilience that came after. Those stories about achieving goals and sometimes just being a kid or just being a person who happens to be black and we're occupying the space that we've decided to occupy in this life. It's like, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to become an astronaut. I'm going to become the chief officer at a pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, reading those stories are important too, so that it's a full range of stories about Blackness, as opposed to, okay, it's Black History Month. Let's see how many names we can remember. Right without a real focus on things that the kids can actually apply to their own lives. I mean, we have so many wonderful stories of endurance that took place during Jim Crow, for instance. Mm -hmm. But there are also modern stories about how to deal with that pervasive racism that still lingers, right? And that is not always as obvious as burning people up in public places. Right. Microaggressions, the unseen hand, that's what my dad calls it. That thing that you know exists, but you can't see it. Unless you're in 2020, then suddenly you see all the hands. I like to say that in 2020, the world stood still. As Malcolm said, kids came home to roost. But it's also the 2020 made everyone mindful. I think that we had a lot of things, especially technology, that keep us from really looking at what we deal with every day. And there's coping mechanisms that we've developed and keeping busy. Embracing, like, you know, one of your books, like poems about anxiety, depression, and hope. I have anxiety. It took me a long time to even realize it because people call it anxiety. For me, it was a coping mechanism. And my mom has it. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if you're black, you probably have it. You just don't know it. <laughs> because it's a coping That's what I was going to say. Right. You're black, but of course you're anxious. Right. It's a coping mechanism. What are you talking about? Of course, you don't even need to say it. We have it. Yeah. And it's like we had to really sit. And then you were able to see it because we were not just us, but the whole world saw it. And it made me reflect because my parents are all pro-black, black power. That's how I grew up in conversations with my kids. I'm one of them parents, and Jay, so like I depended on teachers to do it for me. I put them in the schools <laughs> to have those conversations with my younger kids. We, you know, we had those conversations at home. I intentionally put them in a predominantly white space. So I realized I had to do that. But with 2020, the conversations that me and my kids, my boys have been having, really have made me reflect on myself more and catching myself more. So when you said, you said a lot of things, I was like, yes. When you said that, let them speak. You know, when they have concerns, let them speak their concerns instead of trying to jump in with your lifeboat. You know, you want to make everything okay and everything better. But the reality is this is their reality. Then when you want to come in with your lifeboat, you're going to come in with those stories to raise their confidence. You said help and, you know, support them with what they like. But I heard how I received that buzz. My son wants to be a food critic. Don't ask. He's very adamant he's going to be a food critic. He's nine years old. He's very adamant. And when you were talking, I was like, oh, you know what? I've been over here thinking about, like, how can I support him? Like, So I said, you want to do a podcast? You want to do a YouTube? But the other way, I can raise his confidence. So when he does start to get older, he wants to really go in that space because we know it's all iffy. Is right now, I can show him other Black people who've been in that space. Mm-hmm. That he yes. knows. People, we've been there. We've done this. And you'll be fine. When he does come across, Cross someone who says he can't. 
Exactly. And I always say one thing that really boosts the confidence of kids is when you allow them to become an expert on what they like. I mean, if your kid is into food critique, I mean, help him, give him books. And he can interview chefs. He can interview so many people in the industry. And there are so many of us within the Black community in the food business, whether we're talking about discovering new recipes trying recipes and maybe he can critique those or introducing him to the different people who open doors for cooking professionals in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. Different types of black food because what you get in New Orleans is going to be so, so different than if you go to a place like Baltimore, Right. right? So just making sure that you allow him to explore what he likes Something with video games. I mean, things that might sound a little silly to parents are very important to the kids. And they're allowed to change their minds later. If they decide that they're going to be a YouTuber, whatever the topic is, ask them, okay, tell me more. And they might change their mind later on, but they will become an expert on this area right now. They will be able to tell you, what YouTubers do, they will really be able to tell you everything about the topic. And it turns them into a real researcher where they're able to become a real expert on a certain topic. It's like he's like marrying two worlds. So we're raising their confidence by their interest. At the same time, we're raising their confidence by showing them that they're not alone, which helps them basically to become more confident. So their personal agency is increased. That's the word I'm looking for. Their personal agency is increased. Yeah, exactly. And when I was growing up, my mom was getting so impatient with me because I was into too many things. And she could have been the kind of person who said, well, no, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. But she understood that I was trying to find myself and she helped me develop those So at one point, I thought that I wanted to be a photographer. So she got me some books about photography. She introduced me to some well-known photographers in Haiti. So I had someone whose path I could decide to emulate. Then I wanted to be a basketball player, although I'm relatively short. If you meet me, I have nothing (laughs) that would be remotely associated with a basketball player. But she encouraged me. She researched some movies about female basketball players. And she was like, oh, look, this person did it too. Maybe you could be just like her, kind of using my interest to do some schooling. It was all about making me have conversations, writing in my journal. She was really sneaky, my mom, in terms of learning everywhere. I know so many things about so many things, about so many topics. So just encourage them, never make them feel that what they want to do is silly or that, I mean, it might be true that some professions are not as well paid as others, but if they become an expert, it means that they will have enough know-how to figure out, okay, 
is it really what I want to do when they get to college or do I want to do something adjacent that might be more lucrative? They will know because you allow them to explore and figure out for themselves whether it's really something that they wanted to pursue. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I mean, I talk like, so I said to everybody because I don't have anybody on the show I don't like talking to. <laughs> but first of all, I want you to let everyone know where they can find you. I mean, she has a badass black girl series. That's all I'm saying. I am online. I have the website, badassblackgirl.com. And I invite everyone to visit. We have a magazine section in it called Unfolding. So we have stories and poems. We also have a blog, so I invite everyone to visit and just show us some, some love. We're trying to create a real community around the mission of Badass Black Girl. And, of course, we care about parents, too. So I have the new book, Raising Confident Black Kids for Parents. And we do have some material that is appropriate for boys as well. And when I say we, I mean, with the team at Mango Publishing, we're doing everything we can to really create that community and have a voice. 2020, as you said earlier, has been so challenging, but there are blessings that we need to acknowledge as well. And the writing word has always been a blessing that I'm grateful for. And being able to share my experience as a teacher, as a Black woman, has been invaluable. And I thank you so much, Jeannie, for welcoming me today and allowing me to talk a little bit about what I do. Oh, no, thank you for coming. So now listen, I know you're not ready, but I'm going to ask anyway. So this is the Parenting Cipher, which is a nod to the hip-hop and b-boy cypher so i always ask people what's their favorite hip-hop or empowering song because everyone does know i've been i've been <laughs> listening to this song again this week i think i might have mentioned it to a few friends last week it's an old song well relatively old but this girl is on fire i love this song i can listen to it anytime just because we need to be on fire in order for us to reach our goals and i just love that song yeah i just heard that song <laughs> i just heard that song um I believe two days ago and when it came on of course you always gotta be like yes, and of girl. course you're the girl it's like I don't know about you, but I'm not you. I'm on fire right now. It's that song. It's like, it's it's never like you just lay back like this girl. You got to be like, this girl is fire. Is that so? All right. Well, it's like, till next time, everybody. Thank you, MJ, so much for blessing us today. Thank you. And I'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please subscribe and go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. The Parenting Cypher podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and the executive producer, myself, Jeannie Dawkins. Until next time, remember to be patient with yourself and your child.